amen. Good to see you all. My name is Todd Gray, as Brother Richard has said, and appreciate your church. Appreciate getting to be with you. Enjoy the morning service, and glad to be here for this time as well. I'm married to Connie. We've been married 27 years in April, and we have two daughters, Kara's 23 and Anna's 20. So we have one through college and one kind of getting going in college and just getting started well. I've been with KBC for about seven years. I pastored for 20 years, three churches, uh, one in Trigg County. Anybody know where Katie's is? All right, a couple of you, a few of you. And then one in Indiana while I was in seminary. Then for 11 years, I was at First Baptist Church, Oak Grove, which was a military community. If you all, prior service, prior military, would you raise your hand if you are? Church, I don't know how y'all appreciate folks, but would you tell these folks you appreciate them and value their service to our, our country? So we were a military church. I was there for 11 years, and we were 50% active duty soldiers, 25% uh, retired, uh, a lot of Vietnam-era veterans in the church, and then 25% just civilian, but it was a wonderful evangelistic ministry, and uh, now I'm KBC Executive Director Treasurer, as Brother Richard has said. My work is supported by your church through your cooperative program giving. You may or may not know that when you collect an offering, your church has made a decision to send a portion of that to fund ministry and missions in Kentucky and around the world through the cooperative program, and so at all times, you're supporting about 3,700 missionaries. You're taking care of about six Southern Baptist seminaries who are training folks for future calling to fulfill their their ministry you're also taking care of sunrise children's services but anytime there are 10,000 children in Kentucky in foster care and about a thousand of those have been cared for through sunrise children's services I recently visited the Danville facility it's a boys center uh, where boys have had traumatic situations these are boys who've had the worst things humanly imaginable happen to them and in most cases at the hands of their own family members and through this sunrise facility, they are delivered out of a place of horror. They're brought into a place of safety where they can hear the gospel and have a chance at a real kind of life. And you're supporting those boys and that ministry. And so on behalf of them and myself, I just want to say thank you for being a church that values cooperative program, ministry, and missions. And we're grateful for, for that. Please find Philippians 4 in your Bible, if you would, please. I want to speak to you on the subject of what happens when you give money to missions. How many of you all expect to either give or receive a gift in the next 30 days? Raise your hand if that's you. All right. So when someone gives you a gift, uh, what's the, the natural thing to do is to say what? Thank you. That's what we do, right? At, at least that's the most natural thing to do. Sometimes we don't know what to do if you receive kind of a, an odd gift. I had an aunt one time that had discovered ceramics and, and she loved ceramics. In fact, she thought everybody ought to have a ceramic gift. And so when I was about nine years old, uh, my cousin, she gave my cousin and I a gift. He was about seven, and our gift was wrapped up in paper. And when we opened it up, we each were looking at a ceramic frog, and we didn't know what to say about it. And and so finally, my cousin looked at the frog and looked at her, and he said, "What are we supposed to do with this?" <laughs> he didn't know what to do. The Apostle Paul in Philippians four ten through twenty has received a gift from the Philippian church. The gift is a financial one. They've given sacrificially to fund the ministry and mission that Paul is carrying out. In fact, he was probably in prison when this letter was written, yet he still had financial needs of caring for a rented facility and spreading the gospel. And he's writing the Philippian church to tell them thank you for their giving. So it's from Paul to the Philippians, and it's on the occasion of a thank you note. Now, we're not the Philippian church, and we're not supporting Paul's ministry, but we are the people of God today. And we do give financially to fund ministry and missions around the world. Your church is about to collect a Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And that money, as has been said, 
will fund missionaries all over the world who have answered a gospel calling. So to encourage you in that work and support you in it, I want to show you from God's Word what happens when you give money to missions. It's not just nothing that happens. It's something significant. And this portion of the Scripture lays out some things that take place when Christians today support missionaries. So listen to Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. And I'll read through verse 20, and we'll look at this text together. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, dear Lord. And this is your word this morning. Father, I pray for the grace to preach a message from your word. I pray for the grace for listeners to, to hear a message. But even more than that, I pray we could hear from you, hear your Holy Spirit speaking into our lives directly how to apply your word to our lives. We thank you for this occasion this morning, this gathering. We've worshipped Jesus through music and through giving, and now we long to worship him through the word. So please help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What happens when you give money to missions? There are five realities that I see in these verses, and I want to share those with you very clearly, I hope very quickly, and I hope very simply. The first one is this. When you give money to missions, the first thing that happens is you engage in Christian ministry. Look at verse 10 once again. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The first thing that happens when you give money to missions is that you minister to other people. You engage in Christian ministry. I was at a Cracker Barrel restaurant a while back and was standing in line waiting to be seated at the table. And there was an elderly couple back behind me. And so I just strike up conversations with strangers. I love talking to strangers. And and um, I, so I said, are you two married? They were holding hands. And I said, are you two married? And, and they said, yes. And I said, how long have you been married? They said, 63 years, which is amazing anyway. And the fact they were still holding hands was amazing after 63 years. And, and I said, well, it's great that you're still holding hands after 63 years. And the old woman spoke up and she said, we have to. We're trying to hold each other up. <laughs> she was saying they had a real need. They were ministering to each other's need by holding hands. When you give money to missions, one thing that you do is that you engage in ministry. You really provide for the needs of other people. Listen to how Paul says it. Number one, this ministry is acknowledged. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
There was something that burdened them to care for Paul. They heard that he had a need, and it was their desire to not let that need go unmet, but to provide financially. They had something that Paul needed. Now, Paul had something that, that others did. He had the gospel, and they were ministering to his need. And so the, need, the ministry is acknowledged. The ministry is also appropriate. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He said, you're aware there's a need. They were aware it was a financial need, and it was appropriate that they collected money and sent it to the Apostle Paul to help with his financial needs as he had answered the calling to take the gospel into all parts of the world. And then the need is appreciated. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He's just piling up words. He said, I rejoice. There was praise that took place when Epaphras brought this, Epaphroditus brought this gift. Uh, it was rejoicing in the Lord. He knew the Philippians had given it, but he also knew that ultimately God had made them able to give and God had put on their hearts to give. And he said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that he celebrated the fact that they had given this gift. When you give money to missions, whether it's through the cooperative program, Annie Armstrong, or Lottie Moon, or the Eliza Broadus, or your status, or your association's offering, you engage in ministering to people in a time of need. That's significant. So Richard mentioned our previous KBC executive director who was here probably last year and shared with you around this time. He's now our IMB president, Dr. Paul Chitwood. He's doing a great job, and it's a wonderful calling that God's put he and his family in this position to serve these missionary families. He and I had breakfast last week. He was in Louisville, and so we sat down and, and talked about the missionaries, 3,700 missionaries. I asked him what kind of people answer the call to missions. And listen to this. He sa I said, what's the profile? of a successful missionary family. He said uh, they have a maverick personality. They want to do something that nobody else is doing. They're adventurous people. They want to go places that no one else is, is going. They're highly passionate people. They're willing to leave their homeland and lead their leave their family and lead everything that is known to them to go off into a place where they have very little understanding of what to expect or what they're going to experience. And they're people who are walking by faith in the Lord. Those are the kind of people that you're helping. You're helping men and women who've answered that kind of calling. In Southern Baptist Life, there are 3,700 of them that you're taking care of through the cooperative program and through the Lottie Moon offer. But listen to this. Along with those 3,700 missionaries, I think I have this number right, there are 2,280 missionary children, and you're helping them too. Those kids need a school to go to when they're living in all parts of the world. They need clothes to wear. They need food to eat and houses to live in. And your church, when you reach in your pocket and you set aside a portion of your dollars to go to the cooperative program or to go to Lottie Moon Missions Offering, you're caring for those children. You're ministering to real needs of real people. Those folks have real names. You've met some of them. I know Stan and Wendy, and I know Mark and Karen, and I know Beth and, and Keith. And in one case, the last names can't be shared, and where they're living can't be shared because they're living in a place where it's illegal to make converts to Christ. And yet you're funding these people who've answered this calling of God to take the gospel into all parts of the world. When you do that, you're ministering to a real need. Here's the second thing that happens when you give money to missions. Not only do you engage in Christian ministry, but also, you alleviate pain and suffering. 
in verse 14, notice what Paul says. Now, I'm passing over verse 11 through 13 this morning, not because those verses are insignificant. They're highly significant. The apostle Paul says, thank you for the offering. He takes a little bit of a detour and talks about Christian contentment. He said, I don't need this offering. God supplies all my needs. Everything I have to take care of, learn how to have a lot, learn how to have not much, learn to be content, learn the secret of contentment. Then he gets back to the thank you note. So that's what I'm doing here. In verse 14... He writes, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. When you give money to missions, not only do you engage in Christian ministry, but you also alleviate pain and suffering. And we're in Bloomfield, Kentucky. We're in Nelson County. How many of you all have ever worked in tobacco? Raise your hand if you have. All right, so I'm talking to my, these are my people right here. I grew up in West Kentucky in Lyon County. Uh, there's a little spot in the road called Lamasco. In fact, we would say we live in the suburbs of Lamasco. We live between two spots in the road, Lamasco and Confederate. At one time, both of those were little communities. Now they're just a little place that says Lamasco and one says Confederate. And I grew up literally in a tobacco patch. And, and so uh, my dad thought we ought to raise tobacco. I don't know if he thought he'd keep the boy, his boys out of trouble or he just, maybe he had some free time and thought, hey, let's raise tobacco. And so every year we had, in fact, folks will say to me, they'll say, have you had a good day? And I'll say, man, it's been a great day. Haven't had to chop any tobacco, hadn't had to sucker any tobacco, hadn't had to cut any tobacco, hadn't been in the collar beam of a tobacco barn. It's a good day. Amen? It's been a good day. And so uh, the last crop my dad raised, he raised five acres of tobacco. That's not a lot for big-time farmers, but it's a lot for a small family farmer. He had another job full-time, and we all had work that we were doing. And helped it. But my mom uh, that year had been diagnosed with cancer. And she was finishing up her years. Mom passed away when she was about the age that I am right now. And uh, before she went to the Lord. So it was time to cut that, bring that crop in. And if you've battled cancer as a family, you know all the challenges. Back and forth to the hospital. Five days in the hospital. Three days out. Five days back in. That was just, the, that was just their life at that time. And so the tobacco crop hadn't received a lot of attention. Dad kind of kept things taken care of. But there was no preparation made to get it cut. We always had to hire hands to help cut the tobacco. And uh, it came time to get it in, and there was really no help to get that done. Five acres of tobacco is quite a bit of tobacco is standing in a field by itself. And, and I'm sure Dad needed the money as well. Folks from a church that I was pastoring, New Hope Baptist Church in Trigg County, heard about my dad's need. And some other folks in the community heard about it. And they all came together on a Saturday morning. About 20 men showed up, and they cut that crop of tobacco and got most of it in the barn. The rest of it was on scaffold wagons. But they helped my dad. He was going through a challenging time. My family was. And they came along and they helped him through that challenging time. That's what Christians do, isn't it? We help each other through challenging times. I want you to know this. That when you reach your pocket and you put something in the offering plate aimed at Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it's not just another thing that you do every year. You're eliminating or alleviating the pain and suffering of real people. Notice how Paul says it in his life he says that what they did was a kindness in verse 14 he says yet it was kind of you in fact i think it's safe to say that all true christian ministry is motivated by love it comes from a place of compassion it was an act of kindness that they did in supporting his financial work and then it's a fellowship he said it was kind of you to share my trouble that word share comes from the greek word koinonia the word that we take our word fellowship from and fellowship, as much as I love chicken legs and banana pudding, fellowship is more than that, right? Fellowship is a partnership. Fellowship is working together toward a common goal and toward a gospel goal. And so Paul says this work they did was not only a kindness, it was also a fellowship, but then it was also 
it was noticed. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. The word trouble in King James is translated affliction. And it literally means to be pressed in from all sides. To feel like you're in a tight spot and there's just no way out of it. No easy way of dealing with it. Paul describes the situation that they gave money into, that he was in that tight place, and he was experiencing affliction. No doubt, if you read the, the, the biography of the Apostle Paul, just a short story of his, of his ministry. Was he a maverick? Oh, no question about it. He wanted to take the gospel where it had never been before. Was he passionate? Yes, absolutely passionate. Paul would die to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was he all in? absolutely he was all in he was beaten uh, multiple times shipwrecked he was let out through a basket in a window at one time uh, Paul went hungry went without had plenty and he lived that kind of life and yet with that life comes pain and suffering and so when those Philippians took some of what they had to give to Paul they were alleviating some pain and suffering in his life you're doing the same thing when you give money to missions here's one thing I know for sure you never forget those people that help you in a difficult time. If you're a family and you've been through medical challenges and Christians came alongside of you, or if you've been to the funeral home and folks have come to minister to you during the loss of your family, maybe you've been without work for a while and your church met you in that time and really helped you out, you never forget the kindnesses that folks show you when you're going through difficult times. Here's one thing I know about our missionaries. I know the names of a few of them. I've met others. I've met Nick and Kendra who are in Louisville, right now i've met a few others and hope to meet many many more but i know this about them if 3700 of them could file across this stage this morning and stand at this microphone every one of those 3700 would say thank you they would say thank you now listen we're not the ones learning a new language we're not the ones spending thanksgiving and christmas away from home every year for multiple years we're not the one raising somebody's grandkids in a faraway country and grandma and grandpa seldom get to get to see them we're not the ones who've made that adjustment to go live in a foreign land they're the ones that are doing that but we're the ones who are giving financially so they can stay on the field and do that they don't have to come home every nine months and try to raise more dollars to spend more time on the field and if they could come through here they'd look at you they look at you in the eye they look at you as a church and they would say thank you Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for giving. And if their children could come along behind, behind them, their children would say thank you as well. Thank you for providing a home for us, for, giving, for providing food for us and schools for us. When you get money to missions, you engage in Christian ministry, you alleviate pain and suffering. Here's the third thing you do. You participate in evangelism. When you give money to missions, you participate in evangelism. Look at verse 15. Paul writes, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. You also participate in evangelism. When I was at Southern Seminary, I met a missionary, an IMB missionary, who was ministering in Russia. And he came and spoke to our class about the cooperative program and about his work and about giving. And here's what he said. He said, when you give money to your church and your church gives to the cooperative program, he said, I'm one of your missionaries. He said, I don't go for you to Russia. He said, you go with me to Russia. What he was saying was that every convert that came through his ministry, that you and I had a hand in that convert, that we were part of what God was doing through his life. 
we were paying the bills so he could be on the field and his evangelistic ministry was supported by those of us who were giving financially to support his work look at the participation in evangelism it's done by saved people paul says you philippians yourselves no now listen if, if there was one church in the new testament i could have visited i would have loved to have showed up at a worship service for the philippian church especially if paul was somewhere in the in the vicinity the apostle paul ended up ministering to these people through the macedonian call if you recall back in Acts 16, Paul and Silas were trying to figure out where to go. And Paul, being kind of a, probably a type A personality, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go here. Everywhere he tried to go, the Spirit of God says, not where I want you, not where I want you, not where I want you. He saw a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so Paul concluded God had called them to go into Macedonia. When they got to Philippi, there was no synagogue in the city, was his, as was his custom. So he went outside to a prayer meeting that was being held out uh, by the river, and there were some ladies there gathered for prayer. One was a woman named Lydia, who was a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple fabric. She was probably wealthy, probably had a, a home somewhere else, and also had one there in the city. And the Bible says that when Paul preached the gospel, that God opened her heart to receive the things that were spoken by Paul. Lydia was converted right there that day as the apostle Paul shared the gospel message. Well, the Bible says she was baptized and her whole household. So we understand that they heard the gospel and they too were, were baptized and they were saved. And so Lydia opens her home for Paul and Silas to minister out of her home. Paul starts going through the city. He and Silas are preaching the gospel, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there was a demon-possessed slave girl who was antagonizing the apostle. All this is in Acts chapter 16. Who was antagonizing the apostle Paul. Well, Paul became irritated with her and cast the demon out of her, and she got saved. And now you've got the church at Lydia's house. Lydia's family's all there. Maybe some household servants were involved. And now you've got this demon-possessed slave girl, brand-new convert to Christ. She's been born again, and she's probably, she's probably playing a tambourine if they had one in their worship team, Brother Matt, wherever, wherever he is. And so just an exciting atmosphere. Paul got thrown in jail because of what he had done in her conversion. And so while he was in jail... Uh, he and Silas began to praise the Lord, and the jailer got saved. And now you've got this jailer and his family, his converts to Christ, got Lydia and her family, got the demon-possessed slave girl, she got saved, and they're just worshiping the Lord. And then when they got word that Paul was in need financially because of his ministry, they wanted to support him because the gospel had come to them, and they wanted that same gospel to come to other people. Hey, listen, make no mistake about it. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you're a child of God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins 2,000 years ago. Jesus became your substitute. And though you are a sinner deserving of a devil's hell, God showed grace and mercy on you. And God forgave you in Christ because of what Jesus had done. We have eternal life because somebody else paid for it and we've received that same gift. But the way you got that gift was that somebody had to bring it to you. Somebody had to tell you. Somebody had to bring the story where you could hear it. Whether it was a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a preacher or, or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, somebody had to bring to you the story of the good news, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only way the story gets out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Somebody has to take the message. And when you give money to missions, you're funding the somebodies who are taking the message into all parts of of the world in fact here's a couple of things just to note about the world that they're taking the gospel into 25% of the languages in the world have no Bible translated into their language now remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God 25% of the Bible uh, languages have no Bible translation 
155,252 lost people die every day, every day, every day. And they'll keep dying, and they'll keep dying as lost people unless somebody brings the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to them, and they repent and believe that gospel message. Those are some world numbers. Can I give you some other numbers? I want to share three numbers with you, and I'll tell you what they mean in just a second. The first number is 43,437. Second number is 10%. And the third number is 39,269. Here's what those numbers represent. 43,437 represents the 2010 census population of Nelson County. That's where we are. Nelson County saw the sign when I came in, make sure I had the right county, Nelson County. Asked Brother Richard, we in Nelson County. He assured me that's where we are. 2010, 43,437 people. It'll change some by 2020, but it'll be somewhere near that same area. 10% is the percentage of that number, according to Glen Mary Research, who does their research based on church attendance records. 10% of that population attends some church somewhere on Sunday morning. 39,269 is the number of people in Nelson County, Kentucky. This isn't China, isn't Africa, it's not San Francisco, it's not New York City. 39,269 people in Nelson County, Kentucky do not attend any church anywhere on Sunday morning. I don't know what that does for you when you hear that number, but I can tell you what it means to me. I grew up going to church, got baptized when I was nine years old, but I was lost. I was a lost church member. Went to church until I got to where I didn't have to go anymore. When I went to college at Murray State, I went to church two times while I was on campus there at, in, at Murray, Murray, Kentucky. And the only reason I didn't go to church was because I did not love Jesus and I did not love his people. It was as simple as that. When I got out of college, I would pop into a church every now and then. And the only reason I ever went at all was because my mother was going to call me and ask if I went to church. Either she called on Saturday night and said, are you going to church tomorrow? Or she'd call on Sunday afternoon and she said, go to church today. And, and so occasionally I'd just go to one just because mom was going to call and ask. And the reason I didn't go to church was because, probably like most of these folks, I didn't love Jesus and I didn't love his people. When I got saved, I was 24 years old. And when I got saved, my attitude toward church attendance changed overnight. I was in church every single time the doors were open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If the WMU had made cupcakes on Thursday morning, I would have joined the WMU and helped them with cupcakes. And the reason being was I'd met Jesus and I got saved. And when I got saved, I wanted to be with God's people. When I hear there are 39,269 people in Nelson County who aren't in any church anywhere on Sunday morning, I think probably... There's about 39,269 people in this county who are lost on their way to hell. And they're going to go to hell unless they repent and believe the gospel. And the only way they're going to repent and believe the gospel is if somebody brings this message to them and they hear it in a way they can understand it. And they hear it with the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives. And they hear it with the drawing of, of Father God in heaven. And they understand that Jesus is the only one who can save them. That their good life can't save them. Their good efforts, their good intentions, their best days can't make them right with God. Only by repenting and turning to Christ can they be saved. That's the message that we're called to take. We're called to take it personally. And we're also called to fund others who will take it to places that we can't go. And when you and I give money to missions, we are participating in an evangelistic ministry here's the fourth thing that happens number four not only do you engage a christian ministry not only do you alleviate pain and suffering not only do you participate in evangelism but number four when you get money to missions you demonstrate spiritual fruit listen to verse 17 
Not that I seek the gift. Paul said, I'm not trying to get money out of your pockets. He wasn't a charlatan. He said, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul said, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a service acceptable and pleasing to God. When you give money to missions, you also demonstrate spiritual fruit. I have a friend over in West Kentucky named Ronnie Stinson. And Brother Ronnie was pastor of Trace Creek Baptist Church, and he pastored that church for 40 years. When he went there, there were about 60 people in attendance. They would fight about everything. They couldn't agree. They would split. They'd get mad. Knockdown dragouts were what characterized their business meetings. And 40 years later, he retired at, as, their, as their pastor. They'd grown from 60 to about 1,000. They relocated, built a building out on the highway near Mayfield in Graves County, Kentucky. And when Brother Ronnie uh, retired, that church really wanted to honor him and do something special for him. So here's what they did. Now, I'm not hinting for Brother Richard, but, but it, it is an act of kindness. So number one, he was 62 years old. They paid his health care insurance all the way up to age 65 until he could receive Medicare. They did that right off the bat. The second thing they did was they, they said to his wife on this retirement day, they said, we want you to go to the car dealership in town and pick out the car you want, and we're going to buy you a brand-new car. Isn't that awesome that they just did that? And then to their pastor retiring, they gave him a check for $120,000. Isn't that something? You know why they did that? They just did it because they loved their pastor. They loved him. Many of those have been saved and baptized through his ministry. God had worked in their lives, in their families. Many of them had seen their families restored. Some have come out of alcoholism. Some have come out of a ruined, wrecked life and found new life in Christ. And because of that, they wanted to show love and appreciation for their pastor. That's just a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit of God's Spirit in us. Look at the fruit that happens when you give money to missions. Number one, there's the fruit that evidences salvation. Paul says in verse 18, uh, rather, verse 17, he said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Hey, listen, uh, giving money doesn't save anybody, but one of the evidences that you and I have been saved is that we become a more generous people. We want to take what God's given us, and we want to share it with others. When we see a need as born-again men and women of Christ, we want to help meet that need. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's a fruit of, of Christian service. Paul said, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. They ministered to him. And then notice the fruit of worship that comes from their gift. Paul describes their gift in verse 18. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God gets glory when these people gave for the ministry that Paul had assigned him to. When you give money to missions, you engage in ministry, Christian ministry. You alleviate pain and suffering. You participate in evangelism. You demonstrate spiritual fruit. There's one more thing you do, and I'm going to close. You receive God's promise. You receive God's promise. Verse 19, Paul puts a capstone on this thank you note. Here's what he says to these folks who have given money to missions. He said, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You receive God's promise. 1997, Connie and I felt led to leave New Hope Baptist Church, where I was pastoring, country church, Trigg County, West Kentucky, to attend seminary in Louisville. I, I, my degree was in uh, marketing from Murray State. I'd been in business and sales when I answered the call. Pastor for five years without any official training. You don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor. Um, I read a lot of books and learned from other people and had a good ministry, and yet at the same time felt called to go to school and, and complete a, a master's degree in divinity. Um, had no money, had no plan, and yet had a calling and felt led to do it. Had one daughter that was born, 
And so we had enough money to supply us for about two or three months, probably of paying rent. Got to Louisville around May of 1997 and uh, got one job working for Sears. I was an assistant to the guys who uh, cleaned the air conditioners. So we'd go house to house, take the air window units out. We'd hose them down, put them back in. We did it all summer, and it was hot and dirty, but it was work, and it paid. And, and uh, I got a second job. My second job was working for a place called Unique Management. And at Unique Management, I would make phone calls at night to people all over America who had overdue library books. You know, I have an overdue library book. You're going to get a phone call from Unique Management at some point. And I would just say to them, hey, I'm calling so-and-so on behalf of so-and-so library. You have a library book. It's overdue. How far overdue is it? Well, it's been about seven months, you know, that you've had it. And they're like, yeah, it's been in the truck of my car. Keep me in and take it back. You know, all the excuses that folks would have. Then my third job was I got called to pastor New uh, Bethel Baptist Church in Memphis, Indiana. And so I'd gone from one, no jobs to one job to two jobs to three jobs to two jobs back down to one job. And I had one job as pastor, and then I was a full-time student. During that time, money, to say that money was tight is an understatement. It, it, we just didn't have any money. But Connie and I had made a decision in our marriage that we were going to tithe, that whatever God gave us, whatever it was, that 10% of it was going to go to him through our local church. That's not anything shocking to you. Many of you all have made that same decision in your life. And we made it under the conviction that it was what God wanted us to do. And we made it with the confidence that God could do more with the leftover 90 than we could do with the 100%. We really believe that. We really believe that God would take care of our, of our needs as we were tithing to him. We also gave money to missions over and above what we gave through our, through our tithe. Here's a couple things that happened during our time in seminary that were were financial. One thing is that we uh, didn't know how we were going to pay for school, had no money at all to pay for school. Seminary is expensive, costs a lot of money, um, and cooperative program dollars help offset the cost of some, but it's still expensive. Well, I hadn't even got started in school, and a friend of mine named Keith Tyner, who I'd known from Indianapolis, who was a stockbroker, Keith wanted to send money to help with my school. He sent enough money every month for four years that he paid for my entire seminary education and books, paid it, paid it all. 100%. We had no idea he was going to do that, but God moved on Keith's heart to pay for our seminary to go to school. Next thing that happened was we had a baby while we were in school, a second child, and we had some health insurance, but not nearly enough to cover all the expenses of the birth of a baby, and, and those hospitals, they want to be paid, you know, and somehow God provided for us to pay the bills that went along with having, uh, having children. The next thing that happened was that we had two different cars. We only had one car the whole time we were in school, but two different ones. One was a minivan, one was a Pontiac, something or another. And you know what? Both those cars, the transmission went out on both of them while we were struggling financially in seminary. When the first transmission went out on the minivan, the church I was pastoring heard about it. I didn't like sneak it in through a prayer request or something and, you know, ask for help for our minivan uh, transmission. They got word that it had happened and they took up an offering, and they paid for that repair of that transmission. When the second went out, there was a man in the church who heard that our transmission went out on the car, and he had the car towed from Louisville over to the car repair place in, in Indiana, and he paid for that out of his pocket. And those are just things that happened while we were in school, and every need was met by the Lord. I haven't been out of school very long, and the church I went to pastor was a military congregation. And, a, and I don't think I made any more money at a full-time church than I did at a part-time church. They just didn't have money, and they struggled financially. And uh, hadn't been there very long, and it was time to pay taxes. Now, pastor's taxes are just weird, but the way they, they work, we ended up on money. We owed about $1,400. It could have been $14. It didn't matter. I didn't have $2 to rub together. But it was April 15th, and it was time to pay those taxes that were due. 
I got a phone call 7 o'clock that morning, April 15th, from a, a fellow we had known in Indiana, a church member. And he said, how are you doing? I said, doing great. How are you doing? He said, doing great. He said, how's the church going? I said, church is going fine. He said, you having problems? The Lord had put on his heart to call me at 7 o'clock that morning. He said, you having problems? And, and I said, no, everything's fine. And he said, nothing going on. And, and I said, well, we've got a tax bill that's due, but we're not worried about that, that the Lord will take care of it one way or another. And he said, my wife's going to get on the phone, give her the routing number to your bank, and she'll send the money that you need to pay those taxes. By 9 o'clock that morning, we had $1,400 in our account to pay the tax bill. I say all that to say this, that when you trust the Lord with your dollars, then this promise comes to you. The promise in Philippians 4.19 was not given to the church in Ephesus, wasn't given to the Laodicean church or the church in Smyrna. It was given to the Philippian church. In fact, I have a conviction about Philippians 4.19. I have a conviction a lot of folks claim Philippians 4.19 who aren't doing what Paul, what Paul is recommending and thanking for in Philippians 4.10 through 18. And yet they still believe that, that things are going to be fine financially. There's a lot of ways you can go broke as a Christian. You can buy more house than you need. You can drive too many brand new cars and brand new pickup trucks. You can probably even go broke playing lottery if you want to do something like that. Here's one way you're not going to go broke as a follower of Jesus Christ. Surrender your finances to the Lord. Ask God to lead you. Tithe to your local church. Support the things that God cares about. Philippians 4.19 comes into play. My God will supply every need of yours. Every want, not necessarily. You might not get that bass boat. Every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When you give money to missions, you engage in Christian ministry, you alleviate pain and suffering, you participate in evangelism, you demonstrate spiritual fruit, and you receive God's promise. A couple of months ago, I was in a meeting in Louisville at the Baptist Building, your Baptist Building, which you pay for through your cooperative program giving. And there were some folks that come into the, into the building to, to visit us and me and others. And um, it was the director of missions and his wife. But it was a man named Wayne Myers. And Wayne and his wife, Barbara, had been IMB missionaries in Swaziland for 23 years. There were three folks with him who were, who were from Swaziland, uh, natives there. And they were visiting in the States along with Wayne and along with this director of missions. The story went like this. The older lady in the group was named Anna. Her picture, by the way, is in the Western Recorder if you want to look up the article about Anna and her family. Anna was the first convert to Wayne's ministry in his 23 years in Swaziland. When Anna got saved, she got all the way saved. And she got convinced that not only did she need the gospel, but everybody that she knew, everybody in her land needed the gospel. And Anna got busy, and Anna was instrumental in starting eight, seeing eight churches started in her region. Uh, she had a son named Chris. Chris got saved through the ministry of one of those churches, and Chris came up and is now pastor of one of those eight churches. I say all that to say this. When you put dollars in the offering plate for Lottie Moon, or when you have a year like in 2000 you gave $6,000 as a church, or in 2004 you gave $12,305, or in 2012, you gave $15,102. In 2019, you gave, uh, or last year, you gave $28,189.50 to Lottie Moon. When you give money to missions as a church, you're supporting missionaries like Wayne who are reaching people like Anna 
who are taking the gospel that they've received because you gave so a missionary could be there, and they're seeing churches planted in their area, and more folks are hearing the gospel, and more folks are being saved, and more folks are surrendering to ministry. And that's happening and being funded by people like you and people like me who say, God, you've saved me. I'm going to heaven when I die. What every person needs is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can't go to every place in the world, but I can help fund those who are going to every place in the world. So I say all that to say thank you. Thank you, Bloomfield Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor Richard, for leading a church to care about ministry and missions, to take trips, to go, but also to give. And then I say it also to say this. If you haven't yet, will you this year, will you partner with God in his worldwide mission to get the gospel of Jesus Christ into all parts of the world. Three ways you can do it. Number one, you can pray for missionaries. You were mentioned a list this morning of folks that you can pray for. Looks like this. It's scattered around throughout your, your, your building here. You can pray for missionaries. A second thing you can do is what I've just now talked about. You can give. You can say, I want to take my $5, my $20, my $100, whatever it is that you're going to give, what God puts on your heart, what you believe you can give, and you give for God's work. But here's the third thing that some of you can do. Some of you can go. Some of you can answer the calling of missions for your life. Some of you have heard the voice of God, I believe, that God's been speaking to you and dealing with you, and God's been calling you to surrender your life to him for gospel ministry and every one of us are called to be ministers in our neighborhoods in our homes in our churches but some are called to answer God's calling in a different kind of way some are called to pastor churches some are called to go on the mission field and live there and take the gospel to folks who haven't heard it if you're being called that way I want to ask you right now today would you say yes to God's calling as soon as humanly possible would you say yes Lord I'm ready Whatever you want of me, my life's a blank check. You just take it and write it and spend it however you see fit. I surrender myself and surrender my life to you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up together. We're going to have an invitation this morning. Brother Matt's going to come and, and lead us. And I want to ask you if you'd do something during this invitation time. I want you to do it not because I'm asking, but I want you to do it because you believe it's what the Lord would have you do today Having heard this message and what you do during this invitation time, I want to ask many of you, as many of you as are willing. I mentioned several things. I mentioned 25% of the world's languages with no Bible translation. I mentioned 155,000 people who die each day without Christ. I mentioned in your own county 39,000 souls who are not in any church anywhere on Sunday morning. Some of you all know those 39,000. You know a, a man, for some it's a husband. For others, it might be a son or a daughter. could be a grandfather. could be a neighbor. could be somebody that you'll see down at the store even after church today. But it's somebody that you know. They have a name. They have a face. They have a family. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. Would you do something today to help that person? When we have this invitation song, Brother Matt leads in this song, would you come pray for that person by name? Would you just come and kneel here across the front? You can sit on these front two pews. You can stand in this wide open area. But would you just come today as a testimony of conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that folks are going to be in heaven or hell when they die. Lost folks are going to hell and saved people are going to heaven. The only way a lost man can become a saved man is when someone brings the gospel to him and he repents and believes that gospel. Would you come today during this invitation song and pray 
for that person by name. When you finish praying, you get up, go right back to your seat. We'll finish singing the song. But would you come today and pray for someone who you know who's far from God? I want to ask somebody else to come. If you're in one of these categories that God's calling you and you need to answer his calling, your pastor's going to be right down front. Would you just come as simply as you can and just say, Pastor, I believe God's calling me to ministry, to missions, and I want to say yes to his call. God's telling you to join this church. You come and say, I want to join this church this morning. You're saved and need to be baptized. Come today and say, I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian and you're aware right now that you need to be, please come today and say, I want to give my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll sing the invitation song. We invite you to come right now as we sing.